G'day, welcome to Partakers. This is a series of studies called Luke Looks Back, based in the Gospel of Luke, and is presented to us by Roger Kirby. Over to you, Roger. This is study 22, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 30. We will call this the way of the kingdom. We now come to two very significant parables, either side of a short and rather surprising paragraph. But I think we should start off with some explanations. The first parable is not about ways to pray, but about righteousness. And that word comes in the very first verse we shall read. Righteousness is a very important but very tricky word in the Bible. Our English word has been used to translate a word in the Greek, which does not quite mean what our English word means. In fact, the biblical word carries with it a whole set of meanings that no single word in English, or in most languages, can possibly include. Our word has as its primary meaning being right, in the sense of being morally and ethically right in the scale of good and bad. But the Greek word in the New Testament, which is used to translate an Old Testament word in the Old Testament Greek version, is primarily about being accepted, about being in relationship with someone, about being in relationship with God. Our word is an accountant's word. The Old Testament word is a social word. Of course, in the Old Testament, one can only be accepted by a holy God if one is right in the moral sense too. But that idea is secondary. And then a third implication of the word is that if you are accepted by God, then you are within the covenant that God struck with Abraham. So the word means being accepted by God, being good, and being within the covenant. Also, a further problem, a big family of related Greek words about righteousness have to be translated by English words with two very different sounds and roots. The words righteous and justify, which don't sound as though they have anything to do with each other at all. If there was an English word righteousify, things would be much easier. But unfortunately, there isn't. So, justify, which we shall meet in this passage, and through all the rest of the New Testament, would be righteousify, make righteous, if there was such a word. So our reading from Luke chapter 18 is going to start off with to some who are confident of their own righteousness, which could be translated to some who thought they being better than anyone else, would be accepted by God and were within the covenant. Here then are these verses, chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, 
or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The whole focus of this parable is about how one can come to be accepted by God, to be in a saving relationship with God. How? The answer is in the meaning of the word translated mercy in verse 13, which is exactly the same word translated sacrifice of atonement in Romans chapter 3 verse 25 and 1 John chapter 2 verse 2. The time for prayer in the worship centred on the temple, which is when these two guys would have been praying, was the time of the sacrifice for atonement, as mentioned in the first few verses of this gospel, when Zechariah went into the temple. The tax collector was effectively asking, Lord, make this sacrifice going on right now an atonement for me, a sinner. Question 1. What is the only way we can be righteous, that is, be accepted by God? As the writer to the Hebrews says, Jesus was like us in every way, in order that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Or as Paul says, and all are justified, righteousified, freely by his grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Question 2. What other words are used in the Bible about the way God deals with us which particularly emphasize our relationship to God? There are all the words about adoption, being children, and having an inheritance. For instance, Paul says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we are children, then we are heirs. There we have adoption, sonship, recognizing God as our Father, and being heirs, all in the few verses in Romans chapter 8. All of those words are about relationship. Paul piles up the same sort of relationship words, particularly in his letter to the Galatians. Question 3. What is the important difference between the Pharisee's prayer and the tax collector's? The Pharisee was relying on his own goodness to make him acceptable to God. But like all of us, 
he could not be good enough to be acceptable to God, who is pure holiness. The tax collector knew that he was not good enough to be acceptable, so he asked for the mercy of God, the atonement from sacrifice. He did not realize that all sacrifice at that time was only of value because it was a foretaste of the perfect sacrifice that Jesus would make on the cross. Question 4. Aren't we glad we are not like the Pharisee? Oh, oh, there's something wrong with that question. I think I'd better do another question 4. Before that, we're going to read verses 15 to 17 in this chapter 18. People were also bringing babies to Jesus to have him touch them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Question 4. Children were not then the little gods they are in many cultures today. So what is Jesus emphasizing by this statement? Children accept what comes to them rather than attempting to organize the world around them to their advantage. Jesus is saying that we too can only progress by accepting what is given to us from the Lord. Now we read verses 18 to 30. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Question 5. What is the rich man suggesting by his use of the word inherit? How do we inherit? 
he would seem to have understood that eternal life is not something we can demand, but depends on the gift of someone else. So the important thing is being in right relation to the person who gives, in this case, God. We can only inherit through the gift of God. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7, God sent his Son to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his children, he has made you also heirs. Question 6. Compared to most of the people who have ever lived, most of us are relatively rich. After all, you must be sitting in front of a screen of some sort to be hearing or reading this. What then do we do with verse 22, where Jesus said, You still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Are we thereby failing in our obedience? We are very fortunate people, but we cannot live in most of our societies without being able to pay our taxes, pay for the electricity, and everything else we necessarily have, well, nearly necessarily have, anyway. The real punchline in what Jesus said is the last phrase, Come follow me. If we do that, all else will fall into place. We can enter the kingdom. So that we will remember his warning, Jesus gave one of his most memorable overstatements. Various attempts to explain camels as ropes or needles' eyes as narrow gates are wrong. Just remember what Jesus said. That's the point of what he said and how he said it. Question 7. We have just had three lovely stories. The Pharisee and the tax collector the children coming to Jesus, and the rich man asking Jesus about eternal life. What are the similarities between these three stories? They're all focused on how we should approach God. In the first story, we are told that being religious and pious are not sufficient. In the second that it is all too easy to allow maturity and being worldly wise become a barrier. And finally, that riches and even good deeds are likely to be a hindrance to us. As one hymn writer said long ago, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I do hope all our hearers are doing just that. Thanks, Roger. This series is on every Sunday, but as usual on Partakers, www.partakers.co.uk, there is something new available every day to inspire your Christian life.